0: So here's here's where we left off last week. Paul has been given an opportunity to basically share his faith and the story of his conversion with many people in Jerusalem at this time who are there for the, the feasts and the festivals. And so this is where we are in Acts chapter 22. And it's primarily Paul sharing with us His personal testimony how he came to know the Lord and though each of our testimonies is a very personal thing there are things about how Paul came to Christ and and what God wanted to do with Paul that parallel our lives and so there's a lot that we can apply from this chapter to our own experience, to our own walk with the Lord as well. In fact, even before we get sort of into Paul's conversion here, there's a lot that we, I think, can be reminded of. You'll notice here in chapter 22, verse 1, Paul begins to address these people and he says, Brothers and fathers, listen to my defense. First of all, listen. Paul says, Will you listen to me? And very interestingly, if you study this word in the original language, it comes from a word that speaks of learning. It's not just about hearing, about a physical hearing. It's not even, it goes even beyond comprehension and understanding. That obviously is part of it, but that comprehension and understanding leads to learning something. And so there's a reminder here for all of us that we all need to be good listeners, we all could, could become better listeners and strive to be better listeners because it's really in listening that we learn. James even said, be swift to hear and slow to speak. And so there is something about learning to listen, especially for God's voice in our life, and we're going to talk about that a little bit later, but even listening to God through others and just Listening to what's going on around us. And so Paul is calling upon his fellow countrymen to listen to him. Then he says, I want you to listen to my defense. This is a a word that's used throughout the New Testament. It's a word that speaks about one's compelling account uh, of oneself, able to give evidence or proof of something, if you will. It is translated in some places in the New Testament as the word answer instead of defense remember the verse in first Peter 315 set apart Jesus Christ as Lord in your life and be ready always to give an answer to everyone who asks you about the hope that resides within you with meekness and fear same Greek word an answer a defense in other words it it's it's God speaking to us about knowing what we believe and why we believe it and being able to relay that to someone else. Can I tell people why I believe what I believe? Do I have a logical accounting, an orderly accounting of what I believe and why I believe it, the very basics of my faith? This is very important. And again, it's encouraged throughout the New Testament. So, Paul says, Brothers and fathers, listen to my defense that I now make to you. And now he begins to go in to his past. He wants to, first of all, before he actually gets to that Damascus Road experience where he meets Jesus and becomes converted... He wants to remind them of his background because he wants to to sort of connect with them and remind them that, look, I get you. I understand why you're so upset with me. I was you at one time in my life. So he really, beginning in verse 2, recounts how he had persecuted the church and thrown people in prison and all that, and how he, you know, even in verse 4, he says, I persecuted the way, even to the point of death, tying men and women up. And so... Paul's saying, look, I understand your passion against me because I was right there. I understand. He goes in then to verse 5. When he says, at one time I went into the high priest, I asked for permission to go to Damascus. I received letters to the brothers in Damascus, and I was on my way to make arrests. And bring prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. And as I was en route and near Damascus, about noon, a very bright light shone down from heaven and suddenly flashed around me. You'll notice the word suddenly, unexpectedly. Sometimes God breaks into our life very unexpectedly and suddenly. We don't see it coming. And that it's not always just about people that don't know God. God sometimes works that way in our lives, where we don't see something coming and God just breaks through in a dramatic way and something happens very unexpectedly and suddenly that just sort of changes the course of our lives. But here, obviously, this is where Paul meets Jesus. And so it says, I fell to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus the Nazarene, whom you are persecuting. Those who are with you, or those who were with me, saw the light, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. So I asked, What should I do, Lord? Now, what he's going to now begin to basically just say is, Look, I was just where you are. I was like you. I get it. But when I met Jesus, my life was totally transformed. My life was radically changed when I met Jesus. And it wasn't just the day I met Jesus. What Paul's relating here is what every true salvation experience is all about. And that is, yes, salvation is a one-time One moment event in my life, but it has ongoing results for the rest of our lives. That's what true salvation is. That's why Paul could say, though my outward man is perishing every day, my inner man is being renewed day by day. Because it's a process of continual growth and development that takes place. It is God making himself real and known in me. It is God transforming and changing us into the image of Jesus Christ. And so, even though salvation, when I accept Christ, that's a moment in time, the effects of that, the results of that, the change that takes place because of that, happens for the rest of one's life. And that's what Paul's saying here. He said, I was never the same after that. I'm still not ever the same. I'm still changing. I'm still being transformed. And when Paul got up from the ground, notice very interestingly too, he says, what shall I do? Because Paul understood something. It goes back to what I shared even before we worshiped and prayed tonight because I just sort of wanted to throw out where we were going with this. That Paul understood a basic concept, at least from God's perspective, about salvation. That is, God doesn't just save us and forgive us of our sins and enter into a relationship with us and send us on our way to heaven without purpose of why he leaves us here after we're saved. See, God always in his mind saves us to serve him. There's always a plan, a purpose, a responsibility. That's part of the reason why God just doesn't save us and then just zap us to heaven to be with him. Because God wants to use us to advance his kingdom and the cause of Christ and the message of Christ to everyone around us as we go through life. So that's part of the reason why God is continually changing us because he wants to use our lives to change others and touch other people as well. And Paul got that right from the very beginning. Notice Paul didn't say, you know, what, what should I study? Not that there's anything wrong with study or, you know, should, should I sit back? No, what should I do? If, if you're the Lord then I know it just makes sense to me. The reason you're meeting me, you got something for me to do. You're you're not just going to save me and bring me into a relationship with me without giving me something to do. So we must all remember that. That's part of where we parallel Paul. We might not have exactly the same conversion experience that Paul had, some light shining out of heaven and literally talking to Jesus, but All of us, hopefully here, have met Jesus in a personal way. And therefore, because we know Jesus in a personal way, there is something Jesus has for us to do. He didn't save us to sit. He saved us to serve him. So the Lord said to me, get up and go to Damascus, and there you will be told about everything that has been designated to do. Very interesting word here. The word designated, translated in the Net Bible. It is a word that speaks about a military appointment or assignment. This is why in the New Testament, throughout the New Testament, God, every once in a while, will refer to his followers, his children, as soldiers. Because God even looks at it from the perspective that When we become a Christian, we have to understand that we are also engaged in a great sort of battle that goes on. And God referred to that battle even way back in the Garden of Eden when he was speaking to the serpent. And that battle has continued to take place over history and will continue to take place until Jesus comes and finally puts down all other people who are trying to rule the world, and he finally rules it himself. And so that's why God every once in a while will refer to us as soldiers, because he wants us to understand sort of the conflict and battle that we will find ourselves in. Remember, we are saved, but we are still left in hostile territory. We talked a little bit about that Sunday. That's why John says don't love the world or the things that are in the world. The world, not meaning the people of the world, but the world system that sort of opposes God and the things of God. And so God here is saying to Paul, Paul, I have a military assignment for you. I have a military appointment. Think of it as as a soldier who has a post. And God is saying to Paul, Paul you are going to have a a military post to man. And you need to be faithful to your post just like any good soldier would be faithful to their post. Because others are depending on you being at your post. I want us to think about that in relationship to our lives. Do you realize that as a Christian... Within the body of Christ, you have an assignment. You have a post that you are to be at. Some responsibility, something to, to, to oversee. Some place to serve, some place to minister. And God takes it very seriously that we assume our post and that we are faithful to our post just like a soldier. And that's what he was communicating with Paul right up front. Paul, this is serious business. This isn't stuff to be playing around with. There's a battle going on here. There's a conflict. And I have a designated spot for you. I have a post for you. I have an assignment for you, Paul. The cool thing is God has an assignment and a post for every one of us. And so Paul says, I came to Damascus led by the hand of those who were with me. A man, verse 12, named Ananias, a devout man according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me and stood beside me and said to me, Brother Saul, regain your sight. And at that very moment, I looked up and saw him. Now, if there's a key verse in chapter 22, for me, it was verse 14. I think verse 14 is the key verse of the entire chapter. In this verse, God is going to tell Paul what his desire was, if you will, why he has called him or chosen him. And the great thing about what God is telling Paul is that God has chosen us for the very same things. There's three things here. Notice what God says through Ananias to Paul. He said, the God of our ancestors has already chosen you, number one, to know His will. Ananias said to Paul, God wants you to know His will. He wants you to realize, He wants you to learn what His wishes and desires are. God has that same reason for choosing us. God doesn't want to hide his will from us. He wants us to know his will. And most of what his will is and and where we can find his will is contained in the word of God, which is why we need to be people of the word. Because if we truly want to know what is the mind of God, what are the wishes and desires of God, we can go to his word at any time and we can sort of find the mind and heart of God here. Now, obviously, too, there's things like listening to the Spirit of God that lives within us and listening to godly counsel and all of that. But primarily, we're going to know the will of God through the Word of God. And then the second thing he said he chose you for was to see the righteous one. God wants us to see the righteous one as well. And this doesn't mean to physically see God. Maybe you have physically seen God at some point in your Christian life. I, I can say I've never seen God physically, but I have seen him in the way it's referred to here. And you have too. Because the word see here means to simply be aware of. And why he uses the words righteous one is because when you talk about God's righteousness or being righteous, it always draws us back to God's standards and what God approves. And so what Ananias is saying to Paul is God not only wants you to know his will, he wants you to become acutely aware and intimately acquainted with his standard of conduct and what He approves. That's what it means to see God in this context. Because how can I please God? How can I live a life that He will approve of if I don't know what He approves? If I don't see the righteous one? If I don't understand His standards? And then finally... Ananias says, and to hear a command from his mouth. Again, going back to what we've already talked about, the word hear means to listen and learn from the voice of God. God wants us to listen and learn from the voice of God. And notice again the word command there. It carries authority. soldier. God, I'm reporting for duty. What is it you want me to do? And God says to Paul through Ananias, I have chosen you because I want you to know my will. I want you to see the righteous one, and I want you to hear my voice. And the cool thing is, like I said, that that's not just for Paul. I believe that's for every Christian The same thing could be said of us, every one of us. God wants us to know his will. He wants us to see him, if you will, and he wants us to hear his voice because he goes on to say, you will be his witness to a people of what you have seen and heard. And then I love this verse 16. Now, what are you waiting for? sometimes with God and serving God and living for God, we can procrastinate, we can delay. And I think Ananias is saying, get going, Paul. Don't, Don't sit around any longer. Go do what God has asked you to do. You got an assignment. You got a post. Get to it. So I thought to myself, God really spoke to me and said, Make sure that you share with others and make sure that this hits home with you, Jeff. Is there something you're putting off that you shouldn't be putting off? Is there something you're procrastinating? Is there something that you're delaying? Could God or would God send somebody into your life, Jeff, and say, what are you waiting for? I heard those words earlier on this, well, actually last year towards the end of last year. I I knew that God wanted me to start writing. And I was putting it off. I was procrastinating. I was delaying. I knew God wanted me to start a writing ministry. And I just like I've told you about starting the church or whatever other times in my life. It's like, yeah, you know what? I just keep trying to figure out ways to get around what I know God really wants me to focus on. And finally, I just, like I've done, it took me a while, you know. I hope it doesn't take you as long to come around to God as it does me sometimes. But anyway, I finally come around. Okay, God, I'll start writing. By the way, really cool. Can I share this with you? And th- th- this is all God. This is not me at all. We're getting ready to send my first publication to the to the publisher to the to get it published. I was like, God can do above and beyond what we could ever ask or think. So, my point is, don't procrastinate. Don't put off. Don't delay what you know God is wanting you to do. You won't get those days, weeks, or months back ever. He says to Paul, get up, be baptized, have your sins washed away, calling on his name. So, when I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I was in this trance And the Lord kept saying to me, hurry and get out of Jerusalem quickly because they will not accept your testimony about me. I replied, Lord, they themselves know that I imprisoned and beat those in various synagogues who believed in you and what the blood of your witness Stephen was uh, shed. I myself was standing nearby uh, approving of it, guarding the cloaks of those who were killing him. And then he said in me, go, because I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Now, keep reading. I'm going to come back to that. Notice, up until this point, the crowd was with Paul. He hadn't said anything yet that they weren't with him and that they probably would have said, okay, I'm okay with you so far, Paul. But, oh, my, when Paul said that one word, Gentiles, that was the end. Notice the Bible says that, verse 22. The crowd was listening to him until he said this. What's this? The Gentiles. They could not take that. They could not accept that. They could not accept The fact that the Gentiles somehow could come to God just like they could come. They could not accept the fact that the Gentiles could receive God like they could receive God. And have a standing with God like they could. They could not receive that. And God spoke to me again and and sort of reminded me that there's a great principle in this. What's happening here? And that is that God wants us to be open and receptive to whatever his revelation is, whether I like it or not. Because I can't go into God's revelation and God's word and just pick out the things that I like. That's what a lot of people have done over the years. That's what people still continue to do. They'll go in and sort of dissect the Bible, the word of God, And they'll, they'll pick out what they like and sort of disregard or sort of shove to the side or pretend like it doesn't even exist in the Bible, the things that they don't like. And the Jews of Paul's day, they accepted most of his testimony up to this point. They were right there with him. But when he said, God has sent me to the Gentiles, that was it. Notice, they go on basically to say, that's it, kill him. Wait, they were listening to him after this, and now it's like, just get rid of him. Destroy him. Because they couldn't take the Gentiles. I thought to myself, as I was meditating on it, are, are there things in the Bible that I'm not receptive to just because I don't like it? I've got to grow and learn to be receptive about all that God says to me, not just the things that I like or that are agreeable with me. And that's really where the Jews had such a major stumbling block with the whole salvation thing. You know, if it would have been Jesus just came for the Jew and too bad for the Gentile, man, they would have been right there with God. But when they found out that God's plan was to save the Gentiles too... Sorry, God, can't accept a God like that, which is why, basically, one of the main reasons why they have rejected as a nation Jesus as their Messiah, because he reached out to Gentiles. We can't have that, as well as challenging our own personal relationship with God. So the crowd was listening to him until this point. Then they raised their voices and shouted away with him. We talked about this last week. It doesn't mean just physically get rid of him. It means kill him. Destroy him. Do away with this man from the earth. For he should not be allowed to live. Literally, he's not fit to live. Literally, he doesn't fit in with us. So get rid of him. Verse 23. While they were screaming and throwing off their cloaks and tossing dust in the air, the commanding officer ordered Paul to be brought back into the barracks. He told them to interrogate Paul by beating him with a lash so that he could find out the reason the crowd was shouting at Paul in this way. And when they had stretched him out for the lash, Paul said to the centurion standing nearby, "Uh, Is it legal to uh, lash a man who's a Roman citizen without a proper trial? He played the Roman citizenship card, which wasn't wrong. Paul was a Roman citizen, which carried with it certain rights and privileges. And as the Bible even teaches us, work within the law that you have. This was lawful. So Paul said, uh, wait a minute, you're getting ready to scourge me? I'm a Roman citizen. You don't have a right to do that. So, verse 26, when the centurion heard this, he went to the commanding officer and reported saying, what are you about to do? We're going to be in big trouble. This man is a Roman citizen. So, the commanding officer came and asked Paul, tell me, are you a Roman citizen? And he said, yes. The commanding officer said, I acquired or bought my citizenship with a large sum of money. But Paul says, I was born or birthed a citizen. That's really a cool contrast there. Because you could carry that over to the spiritual realm. This Roman centurion bought his Roman citizenship. He reminds me of people today who think they can buy their way or earn their way or merit their way into heaven. Well, unlike being a Roman citizen, you can't earn your way or buy your way or merit your way into heaven. You have to be born again. Just like Paul was born into Roman citizenship, Jesus said, you must be born again. And Paul here is simply again reminding us of something spiritual. And that is just as there are rights and privileges in his day to being a Roman citizen, we have rights and privileges and resources by being a citizen of heaven. And you know Philippians 3.20 says, Our citizenship is in heaven, Paul says in Philippians 3.20. We are citizens of heaven. We are citizens right now of the king. And because we are citizens of heaven, we have certain rights, privileges, and resources. And going back and tying it in even to Sunday's message about laying hold of our eternal life, are we really taking advantage of the rights, the privileges, the resources that we have been given in Christ? Because it would be a shame not to. Because we're full-fledged citizens. And just like Paul sort of said, hey, I have the right to demand a hearing. I have a right to demand a trial. I have privileges as a Roman citizen. God wants us to understand. We have rights and privileges and resources. Yes, we have responsibilities. And we need to talk about that at some point. But but for tonight's purposes, focus on the resources, rights, and privileges we have as citizens of God in heaven. By the way, one of those privileges is prayer. We saw Paul praying there. All kinds of things we could say about that. But that's a great picture to me of, of, again, that parallels our own spiritual life. So verse 29, then there were those about to interrogate him. They stayed away from him. And the commanding officer was frightened when he realized that Paul was a Roman citizen and that he had had him tied up. I want to stop here for a moment. I just have a couple more things and then we'll wrap it up tonight. Paul was a very unique individual. He had a very unique background. If you recall back earlier there in chapter 22 and other places, Paul talks about the fact that even though he was from Tarsus, so in other words, he was born outside of the promised land, if you will, uh, he was very much a Jew. In fact, uh, he, he had the privilege and the opportunity to sit at the feet of Gamaliel, probably one of the leading, if not the most respected rabbi that there was in Israel at that time. So you could say, wow, this, this guy, even though he was from Tarsus, he, had, he, he went to the best school. He had the best training. He understood Judaism like very few people in his day would have understood Judaism. Yet at the same time, he was also a Roman citizen, and he was educated in, in, in the Roman Empire as well. So there was this just wonderful meshing of, of unique things that made Paul unique and his background unique from a lot of other people in Paul's day. And the point that God is making here, one of the points that God is making, and one of the points I think that God wants us to get is this. God wanted to use Paul's uniqueness and his unique background to serve him in a special way. And God wants to do the same thing with you and me. God wants to use your uniqueness. Instead of striving to be like everybody else, embrace your uniqueness. The reason why you're unique and God created you and me unique and why he has taken us through unique experiences that don't just totally uh, align with other people is because God wants to use our uniqueness and the unique things that we have been through in our life and the background that we bring that other people may not bring to serve him. And that's Paul's life. That's why we should celebrate diversity within the body of Christ. Instead of us all trying to be like each other, relax with who God made you to be and be yourself. (laughs) Because that's why God made you the way he did, and that's why God gave you unique Spiritual gifts and compliments and makeup because he doesn't want you to be like anybody else. He wants you to be you. He wants me to be me. And God is very capable of using us just the way we are. As long as we are pliable and moldable in his hands. And then in verse 30, it says the next day, because the commanding officer wanted to know the true results that Paul was being accused by the Jews, he released him and ordered the chief priests and the whole council to assemble. And he brought Paul down and had him stand before them. And next week, in chapter 23, we're going to see the conclusion of sort of this dramatic uh, event where Paul now had the opportunity to speak before the, the, the common people, if you will, of Israel. Now he gets to speak before the Sanhedrin of Israel. It would be like you and I all of a sudden just getting an opportunity to go to Washington and speak to the entire House and Senate. Whatever we wanted to do. That's the opportunity Paul's getting here in chapter 23. He's going to get to talk to the Sanhedrin of Israel. What an opportunity! But here's what I want to leave you with tonight. Paul knew at this point generally what God's plan was for his life, but he didn't know all of God's plan, and he didn't know how all of this was going to turn out. He had to learn to trust God, just like we have to learn to trust God. We may have a general idea of God's plan and what God wants us to do at this point, but God will never give us everything because God wants us to learn to walk by faith, not by sight. And just as we as a church get ready to enter into making this offer on this land, we as leaders believe, and and many of you believe, Yeah, this is where God is leading us, and and we're ready. We can see it, and we've done our due diligence, and we feel like we have, you know, done everything humanly possible, but there's still still obviously that peace that we don't know how it's all going to go. We've got to trust God. And God always leads his people that way. Because He will never take us through life to where somehow we get to a place where we don't have to trust Him anymore, where we don't have to go to Him anymore, where we don't have to look to Him anymore. There will always be that great combination where there will be things that we are responsible for, things within our purview, things that we can control and that we should do and be diligent in doing but there's always going to be pieces that are unknown where God says, just like he said to the children of Israel, I want you first to show me your faith in me and step foot into the Jordan River. Because it was only after they, by faith, stepped foot in the Jordan River that the waters parted and they were able to cross over on dry land. It wasn't that God led them to the edge of the Jordan River then parted it and said, go across. Where's the faith in that? The faith was that they needed to put their foot in. And yet, even that faith was based on a great foundation of all the things that they have seen God lead them up to this point, which is exactly where we are as a church. We have seen God lead us step by step by step by step. And that's why we are ready to launch out and make this offer. One other thing, and I want to talk more about this next week. I'm getting ready. We're, we're on Sunday morning. We are doing a 12 week series on the essentials of our faith. Um. And here on tuesday nights we're finishing up the book of acts and yet we're coming into this year and god is saying to me jeff we need to talk about prayer (laughs) and we need to get our people praying and we need we need to focus on prayer and all of that so after this series and acts is over i'm going to begin on tuesday night a 12-week series digging into prayer and what we're going to be doing is looking at the great prayers in the Bible. There are 12 of them that I have chosen. From Genesis all the way through Revelation, all the way through the Bible, I have chosen 12 prayers because I think one of the best ways to learn about prayer is to study the prayers that are in the Word of God. And the reason I share that with you tonight is because the Word that Paul uses here, Luke actually uses for praying in verse 17, back in verse 17 when Paul is recounting that after he returned to Jerusalem he was praying, it's a very great word that reminds us of one of the great aspects of prayer and why God wants us to pray and calls us to pray. Because it's a word that literally means the great exchange In other words, God wants us to see prayer and coming to Him and coming into His presence as a great exchange. That I come maybe unwilling to do what He wants and I leave willing. I come into His presence weak. I leave with His strength. I come into His presence with confusion. I leave with clarity. I come into His presence with doubt and fear. I leave with confidence. On and on we could go. Prayer is all about the great exchange. Many Christians go, why do we pray? Why does God want me to pray? Because it is in going to God and spending time with Him and being in His presence that God can produce in our lives this great exchange. You even see this in the Psalms. Where many times the psalms are records of people praying to God. And they'll start out in the psalm and they'll be so upset and distraught and, and all of this. And by the end of the psalm, after they've spent time in God's presence and worshiping God, their attitude changes. And all of a sudden it's like, okay, I'm, I'm back, if you will. That's one of the great principles of prayer. Think of prayer as the great exchange. God wants us to come to Him so that we can exchange whatever shouldn't be in our lives with what should be. And God's the one that will give it to us and supply us with it and furnish us with it if we'll come to Him in prayer. For me, I had to learn to bring my anxiety to God and take away His peace from my time with Him. So I don't know what God wants to exchange with us tonight, with you tonight. But I know this. I know God asks us to come to him. Because there's always things in our life that need to go through that great exchange. Through spending time in prayer. And we'll talk more about that next week. Let's close, folks. Father God, we thank you for your word Because, Lord, we know that it is in your word and through your word that we can know your will. We can see the righteous one. And we can hear the command of your voice. God, I pray tonight that all of us who are here and all who will listen to this message have come not only ready to listen, but ready to learn. And ready to follow whatever, Lord, you are asking of us to do. Remind us, God, through the Apostle Paul's life tonight, that we were saved to serve. And that, Lord, from your perspective, each of us have a a divine post, if you will, to station and to be at. And God, help us to, to be faithful like a good soldier, to our post. Not only so we can glorify and share you with others, but so that other Christians and other fellow soldiers of Christ can be encouraged by looking over and seeing us faithfully at our post, day in and day out. God, use this tonight in our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, guys. We'll see you on Sunday or next Tuesday.